0: It's in heaven.
1: Good morning. Welcome to 77 Minutes, the live edition. It's Tim Cato. I write and talk about the Mavericks. I believe it's just gonna be me today. We might have a special guest or two drop in. But yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna run this live. I am in Los Angeles right now. I'm headed home after the Mavericks beat the Lakers on Tuesday night. I was also in Oakland, or I wasn't in Oakland. They don't play in Oakland anymore. I was in San Francisco at Chase Center. So the Mavericks had a improbable comeback victory against the Warriors. And, and yeah, we're just going to answer some questions today, um, whether it's in the chat. If, if you guys have questions you want to drop in there, or if anybody wants to come up and uh, toss some questions at me, chat for a little bit. All options are available, and I'd love to, to hear from anybody who has something to say, has some questions for me, uh, just just wants to ask about um, really anything. You know, I'm a pretty open book. I, I, am, I am down to answer whatever your heart desires that is vaguely Mavericks and basketball-related, including put-back put back dunks, including trades that may have happened in the past few weeks, any and all of the above. I'll say just real quick, um, my thoughts on the two games I saw in person. Um, you know, I thought I, I wasn't at, I wasn't at Utah. Um, but I thought that was, you know, a close game that could have gone either way. I don't have huge big picture thoughts about that one, except that it'd be a really interesting playoff series to see those two together. Um, other than that, you know, I, I think with the Warriors, um, I think the the slightly buzzkill way to look at it is that you're not going to get a lot of 21-point comebacks most of the time, and that you should enjoy and celebrate when they happen. But I I think probably the first three quarters is more telling of those two teams and where they're at, and the Mavericks should not apologize or have any shame or anything about the way that they won that game. I I wrote in a piece that went up Wednesday morning that, you know, right now the key is that the Mavericks are continuing to get results and wins because the standings are that tight and the teams around them are winning as much as they are. And so right now it's really important to kind of keep that place in the standings. It's unlikely that Dallas is going to really push Memphis for the third seed. Not impossible, but unlikely. Memphis has the second easiest schedule, um, at least by, you know, win percentage the rest of the way. Um, but but it's very possible that they could push up uh against who is who's uh who's ahead of them right now? Utah. They they could push towards Utah, uh very possibly lap them. Um they could also be lapped by Denver. Both of them could end up, you know, both Denver and Dallas could end up passing uh Utah, and that would set up a four-five series between those two teams. Dallas could end up falling to sixth. Um, you know, it, it really if, if, you know, if Denver and Utah keep playing the way they are and winning the way they are, it, it could be through to a fault of their own, but Dallas could end up sixth, and that would set up a 3-6 series against Memphis, which I think would be very fascinating and, quite frankly, one that I think they should be favored to win. Um, I think Denver is probably the scariest team of those three, especially with the potential of what Michael Porter Jr. and Jamal Murray coming back could make that team, especially given how they're playing now. But with about 20 games to go, the key is to continue getting wins and to get a win against Golden State, even if it was not, again, I don't want to say fluky. I I don't view it as a fluky win. I I view it as kind of an improbable win that they earned by the way they played and also had some breaks in the fourth quarter with the way Golden State played that allowed them to make the comeback that they did. Uh, It still absolutely makes the fourth quarter and what they did impressive to me. And maybe it's the Lakers, um, you know, I, I don't take too much in the same way that I don't take too much from, you know, the way that the Mavericks came back in the big picture thinking, oh, this means that the Mavericks are better than the Warriors. You know, I, I don't think that there's really any shame in just a, um, a you know, st- statistically unfortunate third quarter where the Mavericks missed all their threes just about and the Lakers made all of theirs and that kind of fueled the comeback. I'm not I'm not gonna take too much from that. They were clearly the better team than the Lakers. We know that. We've seen the Laker headlines. We've seen the dysfunction that has come from that team over the the, the past weeks and quite frankly months. And, and and I think in the end they showed it. And along the way we had some pretty fun stuff like the like the Luca putback dunk, which that that has to be the highest he's ever jumped. I think I think he had a little bit of a push off on, on Dwight Howard. Um, I actually asked Luca that after, after the game, he was basically like, let me have this, let me live, dude. (laughs) It was, it was, uh, one of the, well, honestly, one of the more joyful post-game scrums or, or, uh, interviews that I've seen Luca do. He was clearly feeling good and, and enjoying his time in LA. The the Mavericks stayed over. My guess is they're probably headed to the, uh, headed to the airport any minute now, um, I'm going to pop over to the uh, I'm, I'm staying in a in a hotel that's connected to the one that the Mavs are staying at. And I was going to pop over to the gym, which kind of makes me walk through the lobby. So there's a good chance I actually see a few Mavericks players and staffers as they're boarding the bus as I uh, as I do that here in 30 minutes, because I, I know that they're going to be headed out pretty soon. But yeah, so big picture thoughts. That's that's how I kind of felt about those two games. Um, important week coming up for them. And really every week from here on out is important. And with that, I think I'm just going to kind of pop over, and I, I see there's a couple people with hands raised. Um, let me do. Actually, let's 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 go to that. Let's 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 bring a couple people up, and let's see what you guys have to say. Let's see, Michael W. I'm bringing you up. Can you hear me? Uh, yes, I can. Can you hear me? Uh, yes, I can. What you got for me today?
2: Uh, yeah. So what will uh Tim Hardaway Jr.'s role be with the team once he comes back because it feels like it was less than a year ago when I was thinking wow this guy is like the second best maverick because he was you know huge parts of the wins that we had against the clippers and now I'm just thinking like like you know like when he I think I've seen that his like the timeline for uh, the kind of injury that he has would put him um, like the recovery being like right when the playoffs start and I'm just kind of thinking like is like what I'm I'm kind of wondering what's going to happen with them now
1: yeah I think that's a good question um I I would say that I wouldn't anticipate or guarantee that he's going back this season I I I don't I think it's possible um but I think I think with an injury like that you just gotta kind of gotta see um from what I saw when the injury happened um you know, just reading about other players who had suffered similar injuries, it's, you know, just kind of up in the air. Like you you can't, you can't expect anything for for sure. Um, Sometimes these drag out longer. Sometimes these are a little shorter. Um, But, but I think, I think the Mavericks could use a player, you know, a, a, a certified scorer who can go for 20 at any given night that kind of makes up for the fact that, you know, they don't have a bunch of 20 point scorers uh, elsewhere on the roster other than the, you know, the three point guards, the, you know, Dinwiddie and Brunson and obviously Lucas, as, as we've discussed, I, I think there's, I think there's some value in that. Um, I, I think that, you know, let's say he came back and, you know, for the last two games of the season and looked good enough to, to be reintegrated to the roster or to the rotation. I, I still don't think he's playing more than 20 minutes a night. Um, and then, and then, you know, at, at least, at least that's kind of the expectation is that maybe he plays 20 minutes a night maybe he plays 15 and then you just got to kind of see how he's playing and see how he's doing. Like there's also a reintegration period for someone who's missed two months that, um, you know, maybe, maybe he won't be up to speed immediately. And so, you know, just given the injury, given the fact that he's going to be out for a while, I I don't, I I think that anything you get from him right now is a bonus and just having a player uh, coming off the bench in the rotation to some degree that if, if he's playing well and you need some more scoring, you need some more shooting. Uh, you can, and, and, and you, you can expand his minutes out and you, you can say, okay, well, you know, you've just had, you know, three threes in the first quarter and, and, uh, you know, finished with 13 points and the game's tied and we need some more shooting. Let's, uh, let's keep you, keep you rolling and, and see how it's go, see how it goes. But yeah, it's, it's not a situation where. You know, I I think the team, I I think the team could use a player like him. It could use Hardaway to come back. I I think that's certainly the hope, but, you know, no expectations. And hopefully you kind of just have a, a bench scorer and a, and and he's just, he's much different than Dinwiddie, who is now kind of the de facto bench scorer for the team. So I, I, I hope he, I hope he comes back. You know, I hope every injured player is, is healthy. You know, I always root for health. Um, but I, I don't think the Mavericks are basing or guaranteeing, you know, their playoff success or their playoff rotation around his return. How does that sound? Uh, yeah,
2: that definitely tracks with me. I think it's – um, yeah, I mean, like, with the uh, arrival of Dinwiddie, it definitely seems like that, you know, maybe having someone like Dinwiddie, who, like, you know, he had nine assists last night, like, he's definitely – like a more uh he's definitely willing to facilitate, and he doesn't turn it over that much, so maybe playing right. with Dibri could be could be even good for could be good for hardaway because he was he was not having uh the kind of season this year that he was the prior to
1: right right, right yeah i think I think he's someone who really benefited from Carlisle's stricter you know system basketball, and I, I think that's part of the reason that he wasn't quite as quite as successful this season is that, you know, in the less structured system um that 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 Kid has, that um, you know, certain players benefited from it, absolutely, and and continue to benefit from it. And someone like him, he was just a little bit less effective. But yeah, I, I don't think that, you know, there's there's no player on the team right now that like just perfectly filled what Hardaway can do uh you know on a nightly basis. So I, I think there's definitely room for him if he's healthy and returns. But I, I think my working assumption has been that he 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 won't be back and that anything you get from him is is more of a bonus. And that you know if if you were to return, you know if you were being cleared health wise halfway through a playoff series, I I don't even know if you immediately throw him in there as a as a guaranteed 20 minutes every night. You know you you kind of test him out, see see how he looks, and you kind of go from there. And so. You know, I I think working under the assumption he won't be back, but hoping he will be and hoping that he can, you know, just be a a different type of spark plug scorer off the bench, something the team doesn't have outside of the three guards. I think that's, I think there's value in that. And and that's probably the best case scenario to hope for.
2: Yeah, for sure. All right. uh, Thank you for having me on.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. um, Let's bring someone else up. Um, Anarudh. Am I saying that right? Uh, yeah, you are. Can you hear me? Awesome. Awesome. Yes, I can. Yes, I can. What you got for me? Uh, so I was wondering, like,
2: looking at some of the games that Brunson has struggled in, it tends to come against teams that have, like, a lot of length. Like, I know the Clippers last year in the playoffs, but also it was his first playoffs experience. But even, like, the Warriors and the Suns have a lot of length. Like, they can throw at him. And the same thing with the Magic. There was that one game where he struggled, so I was wondering: is there a situation where kid would trust Dinwiddie more than Brunson?
3: I think that's
1: thinking about that, um, when Dinwiddie closed out the second quarter um, over Brunson um, in Tuesday's game against the Lakers, and you know, I wrote about how I thought it was interesting and telling um, that Brunson looked really assertive after the third quarter, where the Mavericks gave up their lead. Um, I, I thought Brunson came out and he had seven straight points, and I thought he was really looking for his shot and l- looking to to shoot in situations where he didn't have to. But you know, he had like a like he had a catch and shoot three where you know it was a situation where I don't always see him shoot that shot, but he had just scored a a couple two pointers and he's like, I'm taking this, and I like seeing him you know kind of be assertive. I still think he's the second best player on this team, um, you know, especially post trade and. Uh, Yeah, him and him and Spencer are different players. And, you know, what I what I like about Brunson and and what I like about Dinwiddie um, can combine to some degree. But obviously, there's going to be there's going to be overlap when you have three players who are best with the ball in their hands. And um, I I think I think it is important that Brunson, you know, continues to find ways to be more effective against the, the longer defenses, the rangier defenders. That's something that, as you noted and as we've noted, um, he he has struggled against against some teams. And, you know, I, I think he's made strides against against certain teams. I think he's, you know, one thing that we know about him is he's really working on his catch and shoot threes. And he's up over, I, I believe I saw a stat last night that he's 41% on catch and shoot threes uh, this season. And, and that's, that's a really good development for him. You know, I, I've been saying for a while that, you know, the one way that a smaller guard can beat longer defenders is by just upping their three point volume. And that's something that Brunson had never really done. You know, he had been steady per minute, taking the same number of threes from the first mi- minute he entered the league. And those th- types of threes kind of changed. He started creating a few more of them for himself. Um, and actually his, his catch and shoot numbers uh, per minute declined. So I, I think it's important that that he's he's kind of boosting those figures again. And and just finding ways to score um when maybe his mid-range creation isn't gonna be as effective or isn't gonna be as as noticeable uh, against teams like the Clippers who you know just throw a bunch of long wings out there or you know, teams teams of that nature who just have lots of long rangey defenders. You know, Brunson is someone who operates in very small amounts of space and you know the longer the defenders and the you know, the, the more physical they get, you know, just the even those small amounts of space gets smaller. And so for Brunson to be able to find ways to still be effective within those contexts, I think is important. And I thought it was cool to kind of see him, you know, I, I, you know, in the wake of Spencer closing out the the first half. You know, again, I, I don't think and I'm not trying to imply that Brunson feels threatened by uh, Dinwiddie or anything like that. But obviously there's going to be some juggling act between those three guards and i i think the more that brunson can you know just make sure that that he's the most trusted second option on this team as he should be and as, as i think he's proven repeatedly this season you know i i think that's the that's that's the right way to see it but you know if he doesn't and if if dinwiddie just being a larger guard with a with a little bit more straight line burst than someone like brunson at times um, if, if he's the guy who can, who, you know, is going to be more effective in a playoff series, like the coaching staff is going to have to react to that. So I, I think, I think for the most part, you know, my working assumption is that, that Brunson is the best second option that the team has, that Dinwiddie is a, a good player off the bench as a, as a slightly different look and change of pace guard. Um, that, you know, we're going to see a little bit of those three together, but I don't know how much of it. And that as long as Brunson is continuing to improve in areas that, We've seen and believed he needs to improve in against longer ranger defenders. You know that should be where you know th- that that's the development we want to see, and, and and that's what the Mavericks should stick to until proven otherwise, and until Dinwiddie just is playing better in a in a playoff series. And you know just based on my assessment of those two players, I I think it's more likely that Brunson does continue developing, and that Dinwiddie is best in that third option role. Something he's also been very open to and and admitted like. You know, he said that's my role. That's how I view myself on this team. So as of right now, I, I think they have a they have a good breakdown of of their responsibilities and roles. And you know, I think the only thing that would change that is a is on court results. And and that's something you're just going to have to evaluate on a game by game basis. You know, in the moment. So that's broadly what I'm feeling. Um, I don't know if you're still here, but I see you're muted, so I'll I'll, I'll pop you out of here. And we're gonna move over to Edward C hey edward hi hey man how are you
3: i'm doing pretty great um big fan of your writing and stuff um cool to be here appreciate it um wanted to talk about um yeah uh, this is awesome the first time i didn't uh join in so it's cool to be to be involved this time um i want to talk about uh, more on Jalen and 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 dinwiddie um it's I, I don't view Dinwiddie as insurance. I know some people do, and I really hope the Mavs can keep Brunson at somewhere in the 18 to 20 over four years, uh, you know, mm-hmm. per year. But I'm worried, what I'm worried about is a team like the Knicks, for example, looking at Brunson and seeing, you know, their star point guard that they've been lacking for generations and throwing like 25 a year at him. One thing I like that Spencer I think is better at than Brunson that that hasn't been talked about is he's a better distributor. Brunson is more of a score first combo guard at least to my eyes. Like he's a he's a yeah. solid passer. He's not a bad passer. He's not a ball stopper the way Hardaway Jr can be. But he's not a pass first point guard and Dinwiddie can be and I think that's something that the Mavericks have really lacked and that Dinwiddie really brings them is, you know, we talk about secondary playmaker, but like Brunson's a secondary. Dinwiddie can be a primary playmaker if he can get
1: back to where he was. And I think that's, I think, that's huge. Yeah. I think the thing with, uh, with Brunson versus, versus Dinwiddie in terms of their playmaking is that Dinwiddie gets to the spots to playmake easier than Brunson does. And he's taller, and long, you know, just a, just a taller player who can pass over the defense in a way that Brunson can. Uh, Brunson is a is a more of a side to side shifty guy. Like he's very tactile, but he's not going to be bursting into the center of the paint. Um, you know, he has some he has some straight line drives certainly, and, and he makes some cross court passes. But I, I just I, I've seen from what I've seen of Dinwiddie, like he's he's just a little bit more capable of getting to the center of the court and then surveying his options and picking out the pass. And yeah, I I do think a little bit of that is court vision as well. But I also think it's just easier for a 6'5 player um, to be able to do that than a 6'1, 6'2 player like Brunson. And so, you know, when I kind of think about their playmaking, that's probably the distinction I I would make. And that, you know, height and, you know, first step and court vision all kind of coalesce together into one thing where, you know, when I, when I try to think about why Dinwiddie is a little more effective at that, I, I, would, I would probably think that's why. And, and so, you know, and, and then you're dealing with, like, how much do you want Dinwiddie to be the primary uh, playmaker? You know, how many instances are you going to have where, where he's going to be the guy, you know, running pick and rolls uh, when Luca's on the floor or when Luca's off of it? Obviously, when Luca's off the floor, it's a different setting. It's a different setup. Uh, and and you can give Dinwiddie more freedom to do that, but then you also have to think about okay, so if if Brunson's going to walk for a for a big offer, are we comfortable with Dinwiddie being the second guy? Because all of a sudden, it's not just that Dinwiddie is the guy leading bench units, but he's also the guy starting next to Luca in the same way that Brunson was. And does he fit that role better than the way that Brunson did? And yeah, I, I to me, especially with the way that Brunson has you know, the, the uptick in, in catch and shoot threes that we've been seeing, you know, I definitely think that Brunson is, is the player who fits next to Luca better. Um and, and so, yeah, it's, it's a balancing act. You, you kind of have to, have to take all these factors and juggle them. And, you know, I, I don't think it's guaranteed that the Mavericks are going to match any salary, any contract that um, that Brunson gets offered this summer, but I, I think they certainly would like to, um you know, offer him something very close to, whatever he's, he's getting offered and, and just try to sell him on his fit next to Luca, and his comfort in Dallas and just this team overall. Um, so it, it's, it's going to be tricky, you know? And, and I, I think that, you know, having Spencer and, and to the degree that he continues to be successful, you know, yeah, that's going to be in, important and for the team. But I, I think, you know, when I look at those two players and I look at Luca, to me, it's clear that, Brunson is the, the better fit and the type of playmaker you want um, is less of a Dinwiddie type who I, I still want to see more before I'm comfortable with him really being a, a positive off ball player next to Luka. Um, you know, he's made a bunch of his threes so far. I don't think that will continue. I mean, just looking at his stats and his career, um, you know, I, I think there's a little bit of outlier going on with his jump shooting right now. And you know maybe I'm proven wrong. Maybe he's he's taken a step there, but you know I, I think that's the big question. And, and in terms of a more playmaking guard, I still think a Goran Dragic type player is is closer to the the, the player you want next to to Luca, who's really a comfortable off the ball player, um, and then also a pass first player. And yeah, uh, Brunson isn't quite that either um and you know what maybe you just have to kind of work with the players that you have uh in the team and and you know like i i remember like there's 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 a front office guy who has a running joke where it's like yeah every every single team would love a six eight versatile defender who can shoot threes and also (laughs) play make a little bit off the drive and can also switch on to point guards and centers and also a good chemistry guy and also good in the locker room if we could just get one of those guys and then You know you kind of look around it's like okay there's like two people who can who can do that um so so i think you know when when it comes to roster building you're always building your roster based off what's available and not you know not just creating players who perfectly fit your 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 the archetype that you're looking for next to you know your your star but in in that sense you know I, i definitely hear what you're saying i think that's the the difference between their playmaking and I think, I, I guess the, the thing to watch is I like, I'm very curious to continue watching Luca and Spencer to like, when those two guards specifically are on the court, I would be very interested in the coming weeks to see how those lineups play out. And I think that is kind of the question that we need to see. And just, you know, if, if they mesh better than maybe I'm expecting, uh, because I'm, I'm still not sold on Dinwiddie as a catch and shoot three point shooter. Um, I, I may change my mind a little bit here. And until that happens, you know, I'm definitely still. Team Brunson in terms of which of these two guards makes the most sense for the future of this team.
3: Oh, you know, I I completely agree with you that I like Brunson over Dinwiddie. I was just it's interesting to me that Dinwiddie brings one specific thing Brunson doesn't in terms of the better passing overall. But one thing I've noticed with uh, two quick things and then I'll finish up real quick. It's you're good. Yeah. I've noticed a bunch of hockey assists for Doncic in ways that I didn't before when Dinwiddie's on the court. Maybe I'm just looking for it, so I'm, you know, selection bias. But I've seen a bunch where Doncic, you know, drives, hits Dinwiddie really quickly, and then Dinwiddie, without any hesitation, hits the corner three-point shooter. And I feel like I didn't see that as much with Brunson or other Mavericks. And that's that's more what I'm excited about with Dinwiddie being a second ball handler next to Luka, is that very quick second pass, and I think that's something that's really been missing because with Dinwiddie you don't have to just oh he's not wide open on a shot so he has to set it back up to Luca like Hardaway would like basically everyone not named Brunson would have to, and that's exciting is that very quick second pass, uh, and the other thing is I also just wanted to give a very quick shout out to someone we both know Tim actually uh, or Moyal he's a very close friend of mine and I know you obviously work close with him. So I just find it kind Love of fun cool to be here. Oh yeah. Everyone
1: loves it. Absolutely. Him. Absolutely. Or, yeah. or someone who deserves shout, shout outs all the time. Thanks. Yeah, that I've, yours, I've known uh, him since we work. were eight years old. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. He is uh, I, I wish I had, he is a, he is a great. Oh, dude. Yeah. Um. Awesome. I'll, uh, I'll, all right. Thanks so much, Tim. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and yeah, I, I think that those quick passes, Um. I've also seen that the quick rotations, I think there's a skill to that even to some degree, just, being able to immediately react uh, almost to catch a pass in the motion of, of swinging it. I, I think that there's, there's some value in that. And I've definitely seen that from, uh, from Dinwiddie. Taylor L said, uh, did Tim just describe Dorian? Um, yeah. Dorian, uh, you know, Dorian, uh, you know, when I was giving the, you know, a player who can do all these various things, I think Dorian is, is one of the least replaceable players in the league. Like, like he fills an archetype that, just really isn't out there. There's not a lot of three and D wings who does the wide range of things that he does. Like everybody talks about, oh, this this player could be a three and D type player, but it's, it's so often it's like they could be or like they project to be or if they, if they defend a little bit better or their defense is okay, you know, and, and it's passable and they're good three-point shooters or vice versa. You know, actually you see a lot of that vice versa. Like a lot of second round picks are really good defenders who haven't uh, developed their three-point shot yet. Um, or at least like really athletic players who could be great defenders who also need to develop their three point shot. And to get an actually full real, uh, like a fully realized version of that player is, is hard and, and that's tricky. And, and so I, I think there, I think there's a lot of value in, uh, Finney Smith. Like, you know, when, when we were having the talks of Finney Smith and, and, uh, Brunson both being free agents, um, you know, obviously Finney Smith has now signed his extension, but, when when we were having those talks i i, I singled out finney smith as being the the more or the less replaceable of of those two and i still think that's true um what do the maps do for luca's birthday um i i heard i heard there were some celebrations um you know as as anybody would celebrate on their birthday um you know certainly it didn't affect the court so i am supportive of birthday celebrations also luca had some some friends of him some friends of his who flew in from Slovenia. So, you know, I I think that's that's cool. I, I know his dad was here, but but I also some you know, like age friends of his. I, I I'm not sure who exactly, but I know like Luca Ripnik is a Slovenian national team player that that Luca's been close with for a long time. Uh, I think I actually spotted him uh in in the hotel lobby the other day. So I'm pretty sure he might have been one of the people here. So so yeah, Luca Luca had a good 23rd. Let's see. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna pop over to audience questions in here just a second, but just sticking with the chat room. Tim, I don't think it's been talked enough that Dallas Foles versus Golden State in round one is a real possibility. That would just be horrifying given the team expectations, the lack of breaks the maps have had uh, have gotten with the first round matchups in recent years. Um, Golden State is only .5 above Memphis. Is that really true? Man, I've I've been checking the standings every day and it's just like they still sneak up on me. Um, that would require the Mavs dropping down to the sixth seed, um, which I think is probably, I, I still, I still, the Mavericks have the, the, the fifth easiest, or I think the sixth easiest schedule remaining. I, I still see them as a team that's going to keep winning and they're going to keep beating teams that are worse than them. And they just play a lot of teams that are worse than them in their final 20. So I, I tend to think that the Mavericks can at least stick in fifth. Um, but yeah, with the way the teams around them are playing and and I like you're 100 percent right that, you know, with with Memphis and Golden State being that close that I guess that is a real possibility. So, you know, I, I think I think if I had to quickly rank, you know, I, I think the, the best team to face is probably Memphis, Um not because they aren't a scary team in their own right, but just because Dallas has been successful against them this season and that it's a young team. And Dallas is a more playoff experienced team at this point and i still believe that there is something to that that is not really like statistically calculatable um after that i'd probably say utah then denver and then golden state in that order so you know the 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 more the mavericks can do to keep winning and keep keeping their first round series against utah or you know even if they have to drop down but if it stays in third you know that's that's not the worst case scenario um yeah it's going to be interesting to see um Dude, let's do another another audience uh, cole a let me try to bring you up right now you, you got me yes sir how are you uh, i'm doing well man how are you
4: i'm doing well uh, my question we talked a lot about the guards but i'm moving to the other end of the spectrum uh the big oh. men uh first i want to give a big shout out i think toberthan's defense i know it's his weak point uh, but his hustle has been all out so i wanted to just acknowledge that out there, uh, but I've seen a lot of talk about the hole that KP left uh, with the uh, post-defense. Um, I think people are kind of sleeping on Kleba's ability down there. I know he's switchable and all that, um, but do we waste resources getting another big man this offseason? Is it that big of a hole? Uh, is it stopping us from contending? Um, is that viable or do we kind of roll with what we got now?
1: I think, I think you could answer that a lot of ways. Um, real quick on, on, on Davis-Bertons, I think you're right. Um, the Mavericks, when they made the trade and they were talking to me about their reasoning, they were really hyping up, not that Bertons was an amazing defender, but he, that he had good instincts, that he was good like fundamentally, that he knew how to switch and recover, that his closeouts were you know, fundamentally sound, that he, that he, that he wasn't over-pursuing. Um, he's definitely a little top-heavy and definitely, you know, just not quite the side to side athlete that is ever going to allow them to be anything more than, you know, a system defender, like an average system defender at best. But I, in, I think, you know, I was in Golden State and, and absolutely they were targeting him. Um, wasn't too effective because that was in the fourth quarter when the Average were making their big run and Golden State didn't score for like nine minutes, but they were definitely targeting him and, and teams will continue to do that going forwards. Um, But but I I think that he's he's he can be passable, um, certainly in a in a switchy system. You know, I I think he can be a decent perimeter guy. Um, I think the the big man question is just kind of about who's out there and who you can get. I I think that there are ways to build this team with a more score first big man. And I think there's ways to build this team with role playing big men who just add more depth that the team doesn't have. you know, I, I think that if you don't have – it's not like a post-scorer in the sense that Joel Embiid is a post-scorer, but if you don't have a big man who can score on on mismatches, you're always going to struggle or you're always going to be susceptible to teams going ultra-small against you. And that's what the Lakers did. And there's a couple times where the ball – you know, where Dwight Powell had a guard pinned down low. And on one instance, he, he drew a foul. Um, but But generally, you're not going to really have that as an outlet um in in your offensive lineups if if you don't have a a guard or if you don't have a big man like that who's just able to put someone on his back like about six or seven feet from the basket and turn one way or the other and get a layup and so you know if a player like that became available um you know honestly like john collins is is not the specific player i I don't think that you know I, i know there's been a lot of buzz in the past, but you know, just a player like that, you know, someone who is known for being able to get his own shot and score. Like I think you could build the team in that way if a player like that became available. But I also don't think it's needed. It, it, a lot of it just kind of comes down to who's available at what price, um, for what we'd have to give up, and given the other options on the table, is this the way we want to build the team versus another way to build the team? I, I don't think there's a perfect way um to build around luca which is to say that there are a lot of correct ways to build around luca and the 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 challenge is not deciding which one is is the best case scenario the challenge is deciding which is the path forwards that brings the most value to the team that is the most you know the easiest way to proceed and that's that's a really tricky front office question so it becomes less of a philosophical question of like You know this is the best perfect second option for luca and more of okay so what are all the options we realistically have on the table and which one you know gives us the best chance to win next season and continue building the roster and adding talent in the future and you know so it's a little bit different than like 2k when you turn on everybody accepts the trades and then you can just kind of look through all the all the trade proposals and decide which one fits your team best you know it's it's a it's a tougher calculation that i definitely like would never want to be a front office person. It's it's I cannot even imagine how many calculations and and scenarios that they have to, to game out. Um, so yeah, I, I guess that I kind of answer around that, that, uh, that question, but I think it's both possible, um, that the, 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 the team, I, I think they definitely need another big man next year. I don't think that Maxi and Dwight, um, obviously are, you know, that is, that is their weak point. Even, even as playoff basketball goes a little bit smaller. I, I think that's clearly, you know, where the team doesn't quite have enough depth. Um, I think I've said this actually on the last live room I did, but Willie Colley Stein would honestly be pretty useful to this roster if he was still around. Um, obviously he ended up with a, a 10 day in Philadelphia and I, I don't think they were wrong to, to waive him when they did. Um, but that, that would be nice. And, you know, I think Marquis Chris is coming back at some point this month and, you know, we can, we can see what he adds a little bit as a, as a kind of diving uh, role man who just is a little bit different than Kyle, but excuse me. <clears throat> but yeah, I think, you know. I think that's the, that's the question. So yeah, go ahead. Cool.
4: Definitely second Edward in the chat saying Robin Lopez. I think he'd be a great fit too. He'd be available next off season.
1: So thank he you is, so much. He is the, he is. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Cole. Um, He is the last remaining jump, uh, jump hook shot person, player, whatever, however you want to describe him you know, do takes more than any other player and shoots like 60% on them. It's, it's incredible. Um, I think that would be a really fun backup big to have and, and definitely like a very usable player um, in kind of the exact scenarios that I was, I was talking about. Um, we've got one more person in the chat room that I see. Caleb, Y. Hey, oh. Caleb, how are you?
5: Hi. Hello. <laughs> Sorry. What's up, What's up Tim? Um, first off. Uh, from one former NT Daily editor to you. Um, how's it going? And then. <laughs>
1: <laughs> how's the Daily doing?
5: Uh, they're doing good. I just graduated last semester from sports, so that was, it was quite a semester. Um, awesome. I just kind of want to talk about, I guess, this is like, I'm not really sure how like CBA stuff works or contracts work, but I did see something the other day going back to the center discussion about how Mitchell Robinson wasn't close on extensions. Would that be? Something the MAS would pursue, or do you not see it happening?
1: Hmm. I could I could see it. Um that's interesting. I I, I would have to kind of refresh myself on like I know I know Mitchell Robinson, like I, I know the Mitchell Robinson discourse of who he was as a player and you know the 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 pluses and minuses as of like a year ago. Um you know I, I guess the idea is like do you commit to a Full-time starting center who needs 30 to 35 minutes, who is not a main scorer, not a not ever going to create his own shot, and not going to space the floor. Which, to my understanding, is two things that Mitchell Robinson is is still not doing. Um, you know, in, in in to commit to that in an era where, as I've you know, as, as I said a little bit earlier, like postseason basketball does go smaller and. You know, we've seen teams that focus around a player like that. Like the very best you can do in that archetype is Rudy Gobert, and I love Rudy Gobert. I think he's a a credible player. But we've also seen, you know, know, I I don't know how much. Like I don't really want to blame him on Utah's struggles, but when when you kind of look at at these path forwards with with uh, with Luca. You know, is that the type of player he wants to play with? Is that the type of player that maximizes him? It might be. It might be if if you could go get Mitchell Robinson and, and your the other options of players that you can go get are just don't have the same value or don't have the same, like, they don't fit the timeline as well, then I'm certainly not opposed to it. Again, I kind of come back to the idea that, like, there's no wrong ways to build around Luca. You could put yeah. almost any player in the league next to Luca and they'd be pretty good because Luca just makes his teammates better. Any one of them, all of them, no matter how they play, Luca's pretty much going to make them better. Mm-hmm. And so the, the question is just like, out of all of the options, if, if Mitchell is available, you kind of start with that. Like, I, I think if you're the Mavericks front office, you, you, you don't, you know, you don't see that, oh, Robinson hasn't come to an extension and think, oh, do we want him or not? You, you come to the conclusion or you, like you kind of build up a case, okay, is he actually available? What would it take to get mm-hmm. him? You map out like scenario one, two, and three where he could possibly become a maverick, and then you just put that in the you know you you post you know you have you have your, like your like the like in the the detective shows where you have like a like a post it board and and you, all the string tying everywhere. Like you put that up as an option. You put those scenarios up that you that he could you know the ways that he can conce- conceivably become a maverick. You put those up on the uh, on the post-it board on the bulletin board, and you just kind of look at that scenario versus another scenario that you've also plotted out, versus yet a third scenario with a different player that you've also plotted out, and then you just kind of decide, all right, which which path do you actually go forwards? I could absolutely see Robinson on the team and and you know like fitting well on the on the Mavericks and fitting well next to Luca. Mm-hmm. It, it's really just a matter of what else is out there, and and do you decide that's the best
5: path for, path forwards? Yeah. And also, uh, like, just one more thing is, um, do you think not having Kristaps will affect if the Mavericks go up against the Grizzlies? Do you think not having Kristaps will affect, like, the matchup as much? Because from what I remember, he played decently whenever we played them. And I was thinking, like, maybe that changes things if we match up against them in the playoffs.
1: Yeah, they don't really have a player who can bother Steven Adams. And Kristaps was able to do that. Like the, like, the way that you bother Steven Adams is you really pull him out and make him uncomfortable in the perimeter. And Maxi isn't going to do that. And, again, like, we've, we've gone through this argument with Kristaps. Like, teams probably shouldn't have defended Kristaps with the percentages that he actually shot on threes the way that they did. But they did. They did guard him out there. They were scared of him, you know, even 30 feet from the basket. And so I agree that, like, they don't have – the rotation; they don't have the the player that can really disrupt what he does. Um, that said, I'm I'm still I'm still pretty bullish on the Mavericks being able to play the Grizzlies well if if it can if it comes to that in a in a playoff series. So, um, it's it's something yeah. it's something you know like it, we're we're close enough to the playoffs that I, I'm gonna like really start diving into playoff opponents and potential matchups in the coming weeks and and be talking more about it, but initial reaction is that, yes, Kristaps was an effective way to bother a lot of, you know, really the way that the Grizzlies play a lot of the time. Um, But he was not the only reason that the Mavericks were successful against Memphis.
5: Yeah. Okay. Thank you so much. I look forward to that. Absolutely.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. Thanks, Caleb. All right. um, I think I'm going to end it here. Um, I have a, a flight to catch in about three hours. Headed back to uh, to Dallas, but thanks everyone for hopping on. I think this will go on. I mean, if you're listening to this, it doesn't really matter. But this, if you only got part of it, this entire episode or this entire audio file will go up uh, as an episode on our usual 77 minutes feed. And we'll be back next week um, with like an actual 77 minutes episode, just uh, you know combination of vacations and and the star break and some other stuff. Had uh, had a. Uh, you know just pushed our usual schedule out a little ways but we'll be we'll be back with uh with mike and uh kent producing and, and dave Dufour and all that so thanks for listening and uh we'll see you guys next week
0: just like me i am 34 don't fight the future honey don't fight the Future, the future is Luca, big Dick Doncic from the home of Melania Trump. How many kids you have? Don't fight the future, it tears me apart. Don't fight the future, please be nice to Luca. Future four time MVP. The a wrap.